All right, well, welcome. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing this semester. This semester we're calling Defending the Faith, and it really has two components. The first component is what is called apologetics, which is uh, where that doesn't mean you're sorry. When we use the word apologetics, it sounds like an apology, something like that. That would be reading the English word back onto the Greek. That comes from the Greek word apologia, which is a defense, okay? When you, uh, when you give a response to somebody, you are giving a word, you're giving this defense. That's actually where we get the English word apology. When my wife is mad at me for something, I give a defense and say, here's why you shouldn't be mad at me, because I'm sorry. And so what we're doing is we're talking about uh, apologetics, defending the faith, and then at the very end, we're going to be talking about uh, cults and world religions. By using the term cult, we're not trying to be mean. We are trying to say, though, that those are non-Christian groups that think that they're Christian. That's, why that, that's what makes them a cult opposed to a, uh, another uh, world religion or something like that. Uh, but uh, what we're going to be doing starting next week is actually getting into the topics, okay? So our very own Jared Lawson. We'll be talking about where we got the Bible and why we can trust it. Uh, but these first two lectures are kind of set to, to, to prime the pump. For some, These are things that you're going to need to know throughout the rest of the semester. So last week, Jeff gave what I thought was an incredible lecture on uh, kind of the history of truth and revelation and these kind of things as it relates to Christianity. My hope today is to give a mediocre lecture on uh, a, theology, a theology of truth. What should we think about absolute truth? And truth, which, by the way, are the exact same thing. Uh, truth, by definition, is absolute. Absolute truth and truth mean the same thing. But we're going to be talking about that today. Should be, uh, hopefully, a lot of fun. I think this issue of what truth is and how we know it is the issue of our time, okay? I think this is why there's so much infighting, there's so much political inconsistencies, there's such a divided culture, all these kind of things, is people don't understand the importance of truth and consistency with truth. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I think this is fun. I hope that you think it's fun as well. We're going to have to use uh, our minds. We're going to have to do a little logic. We're going to have to do a little philosophy. Should be uh, a good time. So let's begin. If you've got a handout, uh, we are studying truth today. There's an official term for this. It's aletheology. Aletheia in Greek means truth. So aletheology is the study of truth. What is truth? How do we know truth? Are there uh, contradictions that actually exist? Whatever it might be, that is what you deal with in aletheology. But let's go over some biblical things first before we get into uh, just kind of the logical things. The first thing I want you to know is this. God loves truth. God is truth, capital T. Being truthful is one of God's attributes. God is just God. He's not composed of parts. That's what we mean in theology when we say he's simple. He's not composite. He's not made. He's just God. But what we do to help us understand God, because we're just these dumb, finite humans, is conceptually we make these distinctions in his attributes. And one of God's attributes is being truthful. Let's look at a few passages. First of all, God commands in Exodus twenty sixteen, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. He forbids lying because he loves truth. Ephesians 5, 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When you're thinking about things that are true, that's honoring to God. Okay, now, just as a quick uh, pastoral comment, this text that I just read doesn't mean you can never think about those other things objectively. A doctor has to think about cancer. A soldier has to think about killing people. It's not that you can never think of those other things. The idea is to grow in your spiritual walk. You focus on what's good and what's right and what's lovely and what is God-glorifying. Hebrews 6.18, in which it is impossible for God to lie. You want to know how big God is on truth? He cannot lie. Not that he can and he doesn't. It is impossible for God to lie. There are some things that God cannot do. We'll talk about that in a second. Proverbs 12, 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. In context of Proverbs, it is lifting up one because it's saying God likes this, and it is downplaying the other because it's saying God hates it. Ephesians four twenty five. therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 1 Peter 2.22, talking of Christ, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Okay? Neither was deceit found in his mouth. So whereas God loves truth, truth is an attribute of God, God is truth, capital T, God knows all truth at, the, at once. He sees all true things as true. He sees all white things as white, all black things as black. He sees things very clearly. There's no contradiction in God's mind. Conversely, the devil, this creature that has rebelled against God, loves lying. Look at this. 
John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what the devil speaks. You might speak English or Spanish or German. The devil's native tongue is lie. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's tough, right? So lying is something we're kind of okay with, even though it's sin. We would never commit sorcery. We would never murder. But here this text is going to throw liars into the same kind of contemptible practices as those that are condemned. Now, again, as a word of grace, there's mercy for you if you know Christ. This doesn't mean because you've lied, which we all have, uh, that therefore you are condemned. Christ has taken your condemnation if you know him. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Let's look at these. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. When the Bible mentions seven things that God hates, two of them are lying, okay? Two of them are falsehood. Two of them are not believing what is true. Proverbs 12, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Jeremiah 9, 5 through 6, when he's condemning them for their sin, everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Notice that to not know truth, to walk in falsehood, to walk in lies is not to know God. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. I had somebody ask me this question one time. They said, would you rather be right or godly? That is called a false dichotomy. Can you be godly and hold a falsehood in that area? You can be godly in other areas, but when you hold a falsehood, you are rebelling against God. You, could, you should be right and holy because those go together, okay? You cannot hold a falsehood to the glory of God. You cannot be wrong to the glory of God. God loves truth. Let me read a bunch more scripture and then we'll get into the lesson. I just want to prime the pump here again with, uh, with scripture. Titus 2.1, but as for you, notice that we're commanded to refute falsehood. It's not just that we're supposed to know truth and that's it. We're supposed to actively fight what's false, okay? But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Christianity is a thinking man's religion, by the way. We deal with propositions and facts and proofs. Romans 16.1, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Notice that Romans 16 doesn't say the divisive person is the one that's always talking about doctrine. The divisive person is the one that tries to downplay doctrine. They're the one that tries to not hold what the church has always held. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children. What does it mean to be a theological infant, to be childish? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. He who marries the spirit of this age will find himself a widower in the next. 1 Timothy 4.6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Titus 1.9, speaking of the requirements of an elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and never to offend people or not seem nice. <laughs> and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That is part of the job as a pastor is to tell people, you are wrong and you are thinking wrong and this is loving of me to say that. Okay? Our culture despises this idea, but it is very, very biblical. Okay, so with that in mind, let's get into the philosophy and theology and logic stuff. Let's talk about some theories of truth. You might have not known that there are different theories of truth, but let me give you three of the big ones with throughout uh, the study of a lay theology. The first one is this. It is called the correspondence theory of truth. Okay? What does that mean? Here's what that means. The truth of a statement is dependent on whether or not it corresponds to reality. Okay, if that's confusing to you, this is just the normal view of truth that you would normally think of, okay? So if I walk into the kitchen and my daughter has chocolate all over her mouth and I say, did you eat a cookie? And she looks at me like little Cindy Lou Who with her blonde hair and her baby blue eyes and she goes, no, that is a lie. 
she is not, her, her, her response doesn't line up with reality, okay? Her response doesn't line up with reality. If there is a cat on the mat, and I say, there is a cat on the mat, that is the correspondence theory of truth. To quote Aristotle, to say that which is, is, and that which is not, is not, is true. It's a great definition, okay? It's a great definition of truth. This is the theory of truth in Plato, Aristotle, Christianity, and almost all of Western history, okay? This is the normally what we think of when we think of truth where your words, your propositions correspond to, they, they equal what is going on in reality, that's truth. In fact, this is so hardwired into us that even cultures that deny absolute truth still secretly hold this. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a guy one time and he said, Zach, your, your definition of truth isn't right because in Hinduism, they actually embrace contradiction. In Hinduism, they'll actually say that you can be and not be at the same time that you should be everything and nothing. And they'll have all these contradictions. And I said, okay. So when a child of Hindu parents, okay, breaks a lamp and their parents say, did you break the lamp? And he says, uh-uh. And they find out that he did. Guess what? They spank him. Because deep down, we still hold this view of truth because this is the biblical view of truth. It's how God has wired the universe, whether we say we do with our mouths or not. Nobody can consistently deny logical truth like this and still live. You can't step in front of a bus that's going, you know, 60 miles an hour and say, this is my truth. This is my truth. You don't last very long doing that. So even if with your words, you don't hold this, even if with your words, you're very postmodern and deny this definition of truth, it still holds for you. It still holds for you. This is the biblical definition, the correspondence theory of truth. That's going to be the one that I'm pushing in this lecture. There are two other popular theories of truth. The next one you need to know is called the coherence theory of truth. This is the kind of view of truth held by such great thinkers as Hegel and Spinoza, also held to a version similar of this. Now, here's the definition of this coherence theory of truth. Whereas the correspondence theory would say this, if something's happening in reality and your words say this is happening in reality, that's true. That's the normal way we think of truth. In the coherence theory of truth, the truth of a statement is dependent on whether or not it coheres with other things in your possibly incorrect worldview. To say it another way, this theory of truth doesn't care what's true objectively. It doesn't care what's true in reality. It just cares whether or not something you're claiming to be true fits within your larger worldview, okay? So it just has to fit within your larger worldview. It has to cohere with other things that you believe, even if those things are incorrect. Zach, what does that mean? Let me give you an example. If I'm an atheist and I say to you, human evolution began millions of years ago, whether or not that's true and humans have evolved or not is irrelevant to my statement. Because if I hold to this coherence theory of truth, the fact of being an atheist and what I'm claiming about human evolution, they cohere with one another. They work well within the system that I've created, and that is their definition of truth. Notice that this statement is true regardless of what actually happened simply because the belief in human evolution coheres well with the beliefs of atheism. This view of truth is really about internal consistency with yourself, regardless of whether or not what's going on in reality, okay? This theory of truth is not about whether something is true objectively or in reality, but only whether or not it fits with other things you believe to be true, okay? And then the last one, and then we're going to have a summary, the pragmatic theory of truth. This is pushed by Charles Sanders Peirce, William James, John Dewey, what are called the pragmatist. Here's what they would say. Listen to this definition of truth. The truth of a statement is dependent on whether or not it is helpful to believe in accomplishing some goal, okay? Whether or not it's helpful to believe in accomplishing some goal. Let me give you an example. If having an abortion will help me have a happier life, then I should have an abortion. That's a pragmatic theory of truth. Notice here that truth in this definition isn't really about truth at all. It's about what is useful to believe to reach some pragmatic goal or desired outcome. So the pragmatist doesn't care about truth in reality. What they care about is what works, okay? So if a Catholic is saying that during communion, the elements become the material body and blood of Jesus, and we as Protestants say, no, Christ is present in a special way, but not materially, we're not eating his skin, the pragmatist would say, let's not even have this debate because at the end of the day, you're both eating bread and drinking wine. They don't care about what's really happening. They just care about what's helpful to believe, what's practical to believe. If they were to give a definition of gravity, they would say nothing about the earth's mass causing things to suck towards it or anything like that. They would simply say, don't walk off of a building. We see that things go down. That's all we need to know. 
That's all we need to know, okay? So these are very different definitions of truth. So here's what we're going to do. It's time for a pop quiz. Without looking at your notes, somebody explain to me the first view of truth, the biblical view. Without looking at your notes, be proud. There's only 100 people watching you, okay? You can do this. It is what it is. I like that, okay? It is what it is. Uh, usually people just say that when they don't like something. You're like, oh man, we gotta go work late. Yeah, it is what it is. But in this case, what he's meaning is if something is a certain way in reality and you say it's that way in reality, your words you know, correspond to that, that's truth. Good. What is the coherence one? Or give me an example if that's easier. Without looking at your notes. Somebody's- Exactly right, okay? It doesn't care about what's true in reality. It just cares about whether or not something you hold agrees with other things that you hold, okay? That's good. Now, pragmatic theory of truth, what is that? Whatever gets you there, right? Who cares? Truth is not something to be found. It's not about corresponding our words to reality. It's simply about what produces the greatest joy for the greatest number of people. What practically works? Who cares about the theory behind it? At the end of the day, we're all trying to stay alive and have good lives and these kind of things. And so that's what they would say. Those second two views of truth, I think, are straight from the pit of hell. I think the first one is from God. The first one is from God. I'm not meaning that in a crass way. I'm meaning it the way the Bible would say it. The devil would love for you to hold that truth is simply just cohering with other things you believe, whether or not they're biblical. The devil would love for you to believe that whatever's practical, whatever works, our church must be faithful because there's a bunch of people, something like that. They would love for you to think that that is what truth is. But no, the Bible would scream to you, God's words are objective and they are binding on everyone. And if you correspond to that, you're walking in truth. And if you don't, you're walking in falsehood. So let's talk a little bit about absolute truth, okay? We live in a culture that denies this. We live in a culture that says, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. You live your reality, I'll live my reality, and all these kind of things. That is not obviously a biblical view, and so we need to understand absolute truth. So here's my question. Let me give you some, or not a question, let me give you some statements. Now, these following statements could be false, but they're actually true. Okay, so let me give you these. These are actually true statements. They could be false, though. Number one, I'm a human. Okay, that's true. Anybody want to doubt that? Okay, that's a true statement. Now, could that be false? Is it logically possible for that to be false? Yes. What could I be? An alien, a a robot, right? Jeff in a Zach suit trying to trick you all. And then Tim's actually him. That's why he's not here in the room right now. You see, you never see all of us together at once. One of us is always the other person as a machine. So know that it's true, I'm a human, but it didn't have to be that way. Things could have been differently. God could have made a world where I don't exist at all. Everybody with me? So that's true, but it didn't have to be. It could be false. Here's another one. Jeff is one quarter Japanese, okay? That is actually true. Did it have to be that way? No, God could have given him a different dad or he could find out in a few years that his dad was secretly Korean or something like this, half Korean. And then all of a sudden, though this is true, you, there are ways you could disprove it. That, that's, where I'm, that's what I'm getting at. These are true things, but they could be false. God could have made a world in which Jeff doesn't exist at all, okay? Number three, baseball is a game. That's true, okay? Baseball is a game. Whether you like it or hate it, it's a game. But it didn't have to be a game. This could have been the way that countries decided to go to war, had God decided. Instead of fighting each other, we'd play a big baseball game, and all of a sudden it wouldn't even be called a game, it'd be called baseball war, something like this, Okay? Or this last one here, you name some. Give me some things that are true, but didn't have to be true, could be disproven. Shout it out. Today is Sunday, Sunday. exactly right. Our calendars could have gotten wrong a thousand years ago, and today is actually Saturday in God's mind, something like that. But that's right. But today is Sunday, but it didn't have to be. There's no contradiction in today being a different day. What else? Melissa Melissa is pregnant. That is indeed true, but it could be false, okay? She could have... I don't want to say any jokes. I don't want to say any jokes here. Do you, see, do you see the sanctification? A year ago, I would have just said it. But something else could have happened and her not be pregnant. Okay? What else? Any truth. There's a bunch. Anything that's true that could be false, though, it's not a logical contradiction for it to be false. Give me one more. 
I lost my razor. I lost my razor, okay? Uh, I'll say that's true for the sake of this illustration. I, I shaved my neck because I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but yes, I lost my razor, okay? It's true. It didn't have to be. I used to have a smooth face and I looked super creepy, okay? And so I grew this beard because my wife likes it. Okay, so now those are true statements. They're true statements, but notice this. They, they, they could be false. There are ways to disprove them. In all of these statements we made, God could have created the world differently, right? He could have made it to where, you know, I, uh, I only have razors. He could have made it to where, you know, it's not Sunday today, whatever it might be. Now, listen to this next part because this is really important, okay? What I'm about to give you are some propositions, some truths that not only are true, they cannot be false. It is a logical contradiction to try to refute them. Let me give you a few. This is the most famous one. When somebody claims, I exist... So if I get up here, now let me be clear, God could have made it where I don't exist. That's not the claim though, okay? The claim is not that Zach is a necessary being. When I, today, as Zach who already exists, and I say to you, I exist, I'm either right, and that means my claim is absolutely true, or I'm wrong, and I still have to exist, because a non-existing thing can't be wrong, okay? That is a claim that is irrefutable. As Augustine would say, if I am mistaken, I am. If I say I exist, I'm either right, and therefore my claim is true, or I'm wrong, but I then still have to exist to be wrong. So it is one of those claims, not only that's true, it cannot be false. This is what Descartes had by his famous cogito ergo sum. What Descartes is trying to do, he's a very pious Catholic, okay? He's not trying to get rid of revelation or church doctrine or any of those kind of things. What he's trying to do is he's trying to say, what can I know with logical certainty, even if I doubt everything? If I doubt that I even have a body, if I, if I think I'm in a dream right now, if I even believe that God is actively trying to deceive me, what is, is there anything I can hang my hat on? And he comes to the conclusion, I can hang my hat on this. I exist. If God is deceiving me, then I exist. If I'm mistaken, I exist. The very fact that I'm thinking means I must exist or there'd be nothing thinking. Okay, so this is a claim that not only is true, it cannot be false. Again, God didn't have to make you at all, but if you're already there saying these words, then this statement is absolutely true. Let me give you another one. All homo sapiens are humans. All homo sapiens are humans. To be a homo sapien means the same thing as being human, okay? Those, those mean the same thing by our definition. You cannot be one and not be the other. This works with any statements that are what are called tautologies, where the first part of the statement has the same content as the second part. All triangles have three sides. Uh-uh, I saw one with two sides. Then you don't know what a triangle is, okay? All triangles have three sides. The famous one by Socrates is all men are mortal, okay? If you say, uh-uh, I found one. No, all men are mortal. What about Christ? Well, Christ still dies in his humanity. He's still mortal in his humanity, and he is eternal in his deity, Okay? Number three, mathematical propositions, okay? One of the reasons that uh, I don't like math because it's boring, but what I like about math is the certainty of it, okay? So like I would write a paper in elementary school in English and the teacher would say something like, I don't feel as though you put enough emotion into this paper. And I would say, that's funny because I don't feel like you should have given me a B. Now who's right? What do we do? Whereas with math, it's objective. You can prove it, right? This is absolutely true. Two plus two equals four. Not only is it true... Okay? If you know what numbers are, it cannot be false. So what some people do is this. Let me give you a little illustration here. Let's do 2 plus 2 equals 4. Now what some people will do is they will say, well, Zach, how do we know that it doesn't equal 5? Maybe we're just using the number 4 for 5, and they do all that kind of stuff. Okay? Here's what this really means. If I have 2 sticks plus 2 sticks, then I have... One, two, three, four. Numbers are just placeholders, okay? Numbers don't exist. These aren't even, well, they, 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 I do think they actually exist. These are just numerals, though. You can't see them. These are, a numeral is not the same thing as a number. Even if you were to change this to five, if by five you meant this, it doesn't matter what you call it, it still means four. In fact, you can just, algebra people, you can just do that. It doesn't even matter what you put there. Because these are just placeholders for these things you're actually trying to designate, okay? So mathematical propositions are absolutely certain. We're not certain that Jeff is a quarter Japanese. We're not certain that I'm a human. We're pretty sure. We're not completely sure. We're sure that 2 plus 2 equals 4. 
The next phrase is an absolute truth. Ready for the phrase? Absolute truth exists. That is itself is an absolutely true phrase. Because it's opposite, there's no such thing as absolute truth, is a contradiction. Have you ever heard somebody say this? There's no such thing as absolute truth. Here's what you simply ask this person. Is the statement you just made absolutely true? You just ask them, are you sure? Because if they say yes, well, they've contradicted themselves. There's not no such thing as absolute truth. The one thing that can be absolute truth is this, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Or they say no. And you say, okay, so then there can be absolute truth. Does that, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you sure? No. Okay, well, then you're probably wrong. Or are you sure? Yes. So you're saying absolutely that there's no absolute truth. Yes. I don't know if you know how words work, okay? <laughs> that statement is absolutely true, okay? Is absolutely true. The last one is what is called incorrigible statements, okay? Now, let, let me explain what I mean by that. If I see something and I say, that thing is red, could I be wrong? Yes, colorblind people. I could be wearing glasses, okay? Something like this. I could have been a dog that a magician brought to human knowledge, and all of a sudden I only see black and white or something like this, okay? So I don't know when I say that thing is red if it's red with certainty. But if I say this, red seems to be appearing to me, that is certain. In fact, you can't even question that. You don't know what I'm experiencing. So I can say, if I'm being honest, that red seems to be appearing to me, and that is a certain statement, even if I don't know if the thing is actually red, okay? Even if I don't know if the thing is actually red. What I'm trying to let you see is there are a lot of statements that are true but could be false. There are some statements that are absolutely true and certain and cannot be false. And what I'm trying to fight is this cancer that has infected our age, which is relativism, right? This idea that one thing can be true for you and a different thing true for me when we're talking about objective standards, okay? When we're talking about objective standards, morality or who God is or whatever it might be. That's what I'm trying to fight down, shoot down. You understand that if you're a relativist, okay, you know how there are people out there that think the world is flat? They exist, okay? It's crazy. We live in the most highly technologically advanced time in history, and there are people that think that the world is flat. How can having all of human knowledge at our fingertips make us dumber? Because we don't know how to decipher good and bad research, okay? But there are people that think that the world is flat. Well, that would mean that if you met a flat earther, you would have to say, the world is flat is true for them. And then if you met somebody who believed that the world is a sphere because you've been on an airplane and have flown around the globe, and you met somebody else going the opposite direction, okay, that you would then say, for them, the world is a sphere is true. Can you have both of those at once? Does it do me any good to say, for you, the world is flat, but for you, the world is round, and they're both true? Does that make any sense? Or Holocaust deniers. There are people, despite the overwhelming evidence of history, that would say that the Holocaust never happened. Okay? Despite the fact that we have pictures and we've seen the bodies and there are people today with Auschwitz tattoos on their arms and these kind of things, they would say that it never happened. Would you want to say to them, well, that is true for you. But for the rest of us, we think it's true that the Holocaust, and they're both true. Both of these are true at the same time. It doesn't work. If one is true, then it's logical contradictory must be false. Okay? So with that in mind, let me give you what is called the law of non-contradiction. This might seem like a bunch of heady stuff. We've done a bunch of, we've used words like coherence and pragmatism. So let me just boil down this lesson as simply as I can, okay? There are a bunch of laws and rules when it comes to logic, when it comes to arguing and reasoning well, when it comes to giving a proposition and then giving reasons for why you believe that proposition. There's a lot of rules. There's really only one you have to remember, okay? There's really only one you have to remember. It is what is called the law of non-contradiction the law of non-contradiction. Here's all it means, just to make it as simple as possible, okay? I cannot say that something both is and is not at the same time in the same way. That's all it is. That's all I mean. I cannot say that something both is and is not at the same time in the same way. I cannot say here is a chair and here is not a chair, and I mean the same thing, and both of those are true at once. Does everybody understand on this? This is very... This sounds technical, but it's very intuitive, okay? If I say I'm speaking right now, or I use this sentence, I'm not speaking right now, that has to be false, right? They can't both be true at the same time. When you affirm one thing, you cannot turn around and affirm its contradiction at the same time. That's all we're trying to do with the law of non-contradiction. 
me give you the definition. Contradictory statements cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. Okay? It states that something cannot both be true and not true in the same time in the same way. If X is true, then X cannot be false at the exact same time in the exact same way. Okay? Now, let me ask you this question. If I were to say this sentence, so I have a son. His name is Judah. He's four. If I were to say Judah is a man and he's not a man, does that always have to be a contradiction? No, because I've changed the meaning of the word man. In one, I mean he's male and not female. When I say he's not a man, I mean he's just a little boy. He's four. He's not a grown man. So if you're changing the meaning of the words, you can say that all day long. But if you keep all the meaning of the words the same, you cannot affirm something and deny it at the same time. That is what is known as a logical contradiction, okay? Listen to this next point, and then we're going to give you some examples, okay, so that it'll help uh, this stick in your brain. The law of non-contradiction is absolutely true and cannot be false. It holds regardless of whether you are a believer or a non-believer, okay? This isn't just something in Christianity. This is the way the universe is set up, okay? In a second, I'll promote that this is the way that God is. God himself is logical. It's one of his attributes, okay? Even if you're a non-believer and you say God doesn't exist, you can't mean that God exists at the same time, okay? Even to try to deny the law of non-contradiction makes you affirm it, okay? It makes you affirm it. You don't get around this. This is absolutely true. It's the way the world is. Whether you like it or believe it or not, it's just a blunt fact. It's an axiom. It's something that you can't even prove. It's where you start to prove everything else. Let me give you a few examples. Consider the following examples. Can they both be true at the same time in the same way? There is a cat on the mat, and there is not a cat on the mat, that's a contradiction, okay? Now, if I were to change what I was talking about, if I had two mats in my house and only one cat, and I said there's a cat on the mat and there's not a cat on the mat, now it's not a contradiction, but I've cheated. I've changed the meaning of the words. I'm now talking about different mats. But if I leave the word cat and mat and all the stuff the same, it is a contradiction. Or if I say this, I am male and I am not male, that is a contradiction. Now, if we change the meaning of the word male, so maybe my wife says, why are you always so emotional and weepy? You're not a male. Well, by that, she doesn't mean that I've biologically become a woman. What she means by that is I'm not acting like a man, but she's changed the definition. She doesn't say that to me, by the way. She's very encouraging. Best compliment she ever gave me was about my beard when she said, you look like a man from Sparta. Best compliment I've ever gotten from my wife. If I say this, I see a room full of people. It is not the case that I see a room full of people. That is a contradiction, okay? Now, again, these can be true at different times. Check it out. I see a room full of people. It is not the case that I see a room full of people, but the time has changed. It can't both be true at the same time in the same way, okay? Or let me give you this other one. God exists. God does not exist. Can both of those be true at the same time? No. Let me ask this question. Can both of those be false at the same time? No. Sometimes you'll hear people say, we can't both be right, but we might both be wrong. That's only true if you're debating a thing where there's multiple different directions that the debate can go. If there's only two options, not only can you not be right, you also can't, you can't not only can you not both be right, you also can't both be wrong. One of you has to be right and the other has to be wrong. These are the only two logical options. Let me give you one culturally, okay, that I think this is an important, interesting thing here. A gay person, someone who identifies as being homosexual, a gay person cannot change their sexual orientation. They cannot like somebody other than the, the type of person that they like. But two, their partner can change their gender. Therefore, either one or two above must be false. Though they work together, the transgender movement and the rest of the letters, LGBT or LGBTQ, cannot work together. They're contradictions. If one man says, I'm a gay man, I only love men, and then that other guy, his partner, identifies now as a woman, either he now does love a woman and is attracted to a woman and he's no longer gay, or that guy is not really, has not really changed his gender. They can't both be true at the same time. Okay? They can't both be true at the same time. It's a logical contradiction. Even the skeptic that says, I don't believe in the law of non-contradiction, can't mean I actually do believe in the law of non-contradiction. In fact, you need the law of non-contradiction to even try to argue against 
the law of non-contradiction. That's a lot. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little fun-tivity, okay? We're going to do a little activity. I want you to get in some groups of four or five around you, and I want you to see if you can think of anything that breaks the law of non-contradiction. I want you to see if you can figure it out. You can't, okay? This is not my opinion. This is the opinion of all human knowledge up until the modern era. But some of you are thinking, I know of a logical contradiction, and then you'll say it out loud, and I'll say, no, this is not actually why that's a logical contradiction. That's the benefit of this exercise, okay? So get together for just a few minutes with some people around you and see if you can think of anything that's a logical contradiction, maybe in the Bible, maybe in life, maybe in mathematics, whatever it might be. So take a few minutes to do that. Go. Okay, just a minute here, because we could take as much time as you want, and it wouldn't matter. Give me one that maybe you're thinking might break the law of non-contradiction. Maybe you're thinking, well, what about this? Help me with my understanding. Antonio. Jesus is God, and Jesus is fully man. Notice that that is not a contradiction. A contradiction would be Jesus is God, and Jesus is not God. To say that Jesus is God, and to say Jesus is human, and that he has two natures is not a logical contradiction. The same thing is true with the Trinity. When we say that God is one God or one being and we say that he is three persons, that is not a contradiction, okay? It would be a contradiction if we said there's one God and not one God, or we said God is three persons and not three persons. But to say that there's one God and three persons because we mean different things by the words God and persons, even if we don't know what those terms mean, God is one X and three Ys, then we have still not committed a logical contradiction. To say that Jesus is God and that he is human, and that he has two natures is not a logical contradiction because his humanity does not take away from his deity nor his deity, uh, you know, get rid of his humanity, something like that. What else? Life is fair. Life is fair, okay? So, but you would then have to say that would be something that's a false statement. That's not a contradiction. A false statement or a contradiction would just say life is fair and life is not fair and mean the exact same thing. There are a lot of statements that are false, right? My name is Susan. That's a false statement but I can't say my name is Susan and my name is not Susan, and both of those are true in the same way. So we're not saying that there aren't things that are false. Life is fair is certainly a false statement. What we're saying is that something cannot be be true and false at the same time. Let's do one more. If you meant the same thing, if you were to say life is fair and life is unfair, typically you'd be changing the meaning of the words fair. You'd say life is fair in the sense that God is just, But life is unfair in the sense that, you know, things don't always happen the way that they should. The person who pursues righteousness sometimes gets hit. The person who's evil sometimes gets lifted up. Let's do one more. Let's uh, do, uh, Angela. Correct. So an apparent contradiction is different than an actual contradiction. And so I actually have that exact example we're going to get to in just a second. The reason people debate on whether or not a Christian can lose their salvation is, listen, this is important. They're not agreeing on what the word Christian means. The person who says a Christian can lose their salvation means somebody who appears to be a Christian. That's what Hebrews is talking about. If we talk about someone who's actually elect and truly regenerate, well, no, they can't lose their salvation. So it's not a Christian can lose their salvation and a Christian cannot lose their salvation, and both of those are true. To hold the different views, we end up changing the meaning of the word Christian, and so we end up not committing a contradiction. So what I would say is if by Christian you mean somebody who seems to have had this experience and prayed a prayer when they were six and goes to church, they can certainly be lost. 
If by a Christian you mean the elect, who in God's mind, the number of people he's going to save, which cannot change, well, that means something different. And so it's not a contradiction if you're talking about apparent Christian and actual Christian. It's only a contradiction if you were to say an actual elect Christian can have salvation and lose it, and an actual elect Christian cannot have, or can, uh, have salvation and not lose it. Okay, that would be the contradiction. We'll get to that one in just a second. I've got that one in my notes. Okay, for time's sake, let me go through a few things. Let me ask this question. Can God break the law of non-contradiction? What do we think? No. In classical Christian theology, the standard answer is that God cannot break the law of non-contradiction. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, Zach. Can't God do anything? You have to understand that when we say God can do anything, we mean any, any positive thing, anything that's good. If I say God can't lie, you don't say, oh, God is so weak, he can't even lie, because lying is a weakness. Lying is a privation. Let me say it stronger. I can do things that God can't do. I can lie, I can sin, I cannot be God. All kinds of things God can't do, but none of those are powers. Those are all weaknesses, okay? Those are all bad things. What we're really asking is, can God, is God strong enough to be weak? Because when we say God breaking the law of non-contradiction, what we mean is him not being truth. We're saying, can God lie? And the answer to that is no, but it's not because God is weak. It's because those things are actually bad things. They themselves are weaknesses, and God does not do weak things like that, okay? I want you to know that the law of non-contradiction is deeply biblical. Let me give you some examples. If it's true that Jesus is Lord, then the phrase Jesus is not Lord is false. If it's true that adultery is sinful, then the phrase adultery is not sinful is false, If it's true that people are only saved by Christ, then the phrase people can be saved apart from Christ is false. If it's true that God cannot lie, then the phrase God can lie is false. One of God's attributes is being logical. It is being true. God is truth, capital T. Many of our confusions in language come from accidentally breaking the law of non-contradiction, okay? We use language incorrectly all the time. Okay, we, 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 we use language all the time. So if I say, if you say, was anybody in the building? And I said, I, I saw nobody. What does that sentence mean? I saw absence of person. How do you see that? I saw nobody. What I mean is, I didn't see somebody, okay? What we do is we misuse language all the time and sometimes we make sentences that aren't really sentences. They're contradictions in sentences clothing, if you wanna say it that way. Okay? They parade around like sheep, but they're actually these linguistic wolves that are there to confuse us. So let me give you a few sentences that are not actual sentences. They look like sentences. Don't be fooled. They use words, but they're not actually claiming anything because they're contradictions. Let me give you the first one. Let me just solve this age-old question maybe you've asked. Can God make a rock so big that he cannot move it? Okay? The reason that question is tricky is because it's not a question. Here's literally what it's saying logically. Can God do something he can't do? Is God strong enough to be weak? The sentence itself makes no sense. It's like saying, Ned the couch screen dragons three. It's not a sentence. It's just a bunch of words together. I just made that up. Uh, It's just a bunch of words together. Can God make a rock so big he cannot move it? The reason that doesn't work is because it's saying X and not X at the same time. It's not a real sentence. There's no answer to the question because there's no question. Okay? Or this one. I love this one. This sentence is false. So here's what I'm asking you. Is this sentence that's on the board true or false? Look at it for a second. Is it true or is it false? Make it where you guys can see over there. Let's try both. Let's say this sentence here, that's why I put it in parentheses to kind of, uh, or uh, quotation marks to kind of bracket it here. Let's say this sentence is false, is true. Well, if it's true, it's claiming to be false. And then if it's false, that it's false, then it's true. Well, let's say it's false that this sentence is false. Well, that means it's true. But how can it be true if it's claiming to be false? You see, this is not a sentence. This is a logical trick. I have a t-shirt with this on it, okay? It's a logical trick. It's a contradiction. It's not a real sentence. Or two plus two equals five is not a real sentence. You don't mean anything by that. Yes, you're using the words, but you cannot say two sticks and two sticks somehow give you five sticks. The sentence doesn't make any sense. Or this one, I see a circular square. What is the definition of a circle? It is where that there is an equal, what is it, uh, a bunch of points and equidistant from a center point that go around in a curve, something like that. And a square is, uh, you know, there's four, these are kind of uh, not really college, geometry definitions. (laughs) 
I don't, I don't want this to be too highbrow. You know, you know a square. I think we all know what a square is. It's like a rectangle that you smushed. So you can't say, I see a circular square. And now, to Angela's point, listen to this next one. Listen to this next one. This is a contradiction, okay? A true believer can lose their salvation. That's a contradiction. That's why I added true believer. See, what people always say is, can a Christian lose their salvation? And it gets confusing because by Christian, we could mean someone who goes to church, someone who claims to be a Christian, someone even who does miracles, according to the Bible. False teachers can do miracles, okay? But a true believer can lose their salvation is a contradiction because what do we mean by true believer? We mean one who's saved, who's eternally saved, meaning from the time they get saved, they never lose it. They will, God, Jesus doesn't give us just life. He gives us eternal life. If you ever experience eternal life and it's taken away, it's not eternal life. Okay? There's more logic for you. If you hold a contradiction in your theology, then you are wrong in some area and need to repent. Okay? Let me tell you why this will give you some practical application here. If you hold a theological position biblically and it is an actual contradiction to something else you hold, you have to repent. Okay? You have to be wrong in at least one of those. You could be wrong in both if there are more than two options. But you have to repent of at least one of those. A contradiction means that you are sinning in your thoughts against God. We're all doing this all the time. You, 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 you severely underplay how much we sin against God. Every passage that you believe in the Bible incorrectly, and we all have passages we believe incorrectly, we're thinking wrong things about God and committing mental idolatry. Thank you to God that he's gracious despite our many, many failings. Let me give you an example. The Bible only allows one to divorce in the case of physical adultery or physical abandonment, but this married couple wants to get divorced for a reason other than physical adultery or physical abandonment. Conclusion, therefore, they do not have the right to get divorced, and allowing them to do so would be sinful without exception. I've talked to many people, even people in ministry, even pastors that should know better, and I ask, what is your church's view on divorce? And they say, well, we take it case by case. Well, here are the cases. Physical uh, uh, abandonment or physical adultery or not. Those are the only cases. Once you've answered that question, all the other facts are irrelevant to whether or not they have biblical grounds, okay? They have a contradiction. Or this one, you see two people debate this. The, the two people be fighting online or over lunch or talking about some theological position. You hold a particular position. I hold a contradictory position. Conclusion. Therefore, either we're both wrong in some cases or at least one of us is wrong in other cases, but we cannot both be right and therefore, one of us is in sin, needs to repent, and needs to stop believing something that is false. There's this weird idea that being peaceful and being loving means that you have one opinion, I have a contradictory opinion, and that's okay. We just disagree. Yes, you disagree, but one of you's wrong, okay? One of you's wrong and in sin. That's the part that nobody wants to say. That's the part that nobody wants to uh, push on. Let me give you some quickly some things that people do to avoid repenting when they're wrong. Okay? So if you're having a theological debate with somebody and you've beaten them, instead of saying, thank you for being iron that sharpens iron and helping me see my blind spots, they will do one of the following things typically. And then after this, Jeff, you can come up to do Q&A. They try to shift the argument. They try to talk about something else, what's called the red herring fallacy. Okay? They'll try to talk about something that's not what you originally started talking about. They'll shift it. They'll try to appeal to their personal experience, race, gender, tough life circumstances, personal experience, instead of dealing with the actual argument. It's called existentialism. They will threaten you. It's called an ad boculum. A boculum in Latin is this stick that the Roman authorities would carry around. It's this idea that if you hold that position, you're going to lose your job. If you hold that position, you're going to go to prison. If you hold that, people aren't going to like you. You're not dealing with the argument. You're just making threats. They will critique you instead of your position. This is a very common one. This person is a bad person. Therefore, their views must all be bad. Jeff mentioned this last week, that there are some things that Hitler, who we don't like here, let me just be clear, on behalf of the elders, we are an anti-Hitler church, okay? But he also held that two plus two is four. Do we get to say that it's not four because he's evil? No. You still have to deal with the truth of a statement. To quote R.C. Sproul, I can learn something from everyone, even the devil, if nothing else, but how to be crafty, okay? Number five, they will critique your tone instead of your position. This is a big one. I know what you're saying is true, but you said it in a mean way. Jesus, when you were calling them a brood of vipers and flipping over tables and making a whip, therefore you're bad. That kind of reasoning. They will appeal to what their buddies or what those in their circles believe, what's called an ad populum, where you're appealing to the population. Remember, there were a lot of people in Nazi Germany that thought that Hitler was a good guy. 
You never want to appeal to the masses, which, by the way, the Bible says are broken and lost, to try to make your case. They will say they just disagree, which, again, you're not allowed to do. That's happened a lot. You'll debate somebody, and they'll say, well, we just disagree. Okay, I agree that we disagree. That's the one thing we agree on. Who's right? We can't both be right. We could both be wrong. We can't both be right. So let's keep hammering this out till one of us repents. And then number eight, they try to shift the blame back to you. What's called a two quoque. If, if I confront somebody and I say, you know, you are looking at pornography that is sinful, you cannot do that. And they say, oh yeah, I heard you say something in a sermon that sounded like you shouldn't have said it. I, I agree. There are times my mouth gets me in trouble, but that doesn't make what you're doing okay, right? Just because someone else is a sinner doesn't mean that your sin is therefore justified. That's every marriage counseling fight I've ever had, by the way, that, that when I'm doing marriage counseling, here's what both sides are always saying in 100% of the cases. You ready? You figure out what I'm about to say and it will solve the problems in your marriage. One spouse says, my sin is justified because my spouse is sinning against me. That's it. My sin is justified. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I, I get it. But my spouse, they both do that to each other. They both say, Pastor Zach, would you please hold my spouse up like a punching bag so I can hit them? And I say, nope, you're the punching bags and we hit you, okay? That's how it works in marriage counseling, okay? Um, Theologically hit you, not physically. Jeff, oh, let me pray. And then uh, as Jeff comes up, almighty God, we thank you for the uh, opportunity just to laugh and have fun. I, uh, I pray that you would help us be people that love truth, not for our own greatness, not, not to be smart so that we can show off or something like that, but because you are truth and we want to think the things you think. We want to think of you the way you think of you. We want to think of uh, the Bible the way you interpret the Bible. We want to think about uh, loving others the way you command us to love others. We cannot do that apart from truth. So yes, we pray that we'd be full of love. May we be kind. May we be gracious. May our speech be seasoned with salt. May we give a kind word that turns away wrath. But we also pray that we wouldn't get rid of truth. Because at the end of the day, people hate Christ because what he says is true and it convicts us because we love the darkness. We love falsehood because of our sin and because of our brokenness. Would you help us? It's in Christ's name. Amen.